Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Kreil and joining me today are Paul Third, Jamie Durant and Andy Skinner. How are we guys? Good thanks. All good, thank you. All good, thank you. Paul, you've returned. I thought you've returned too as the Dons <laughs> in dire trouble down near the bottom of the Premiership following their 2-1 loss at Dens Park on Saturday. It wasn't a good watch, that's where we'll start. We will move on to discussing Ross County, they're not in great shape themselves. Inverness, we are back in fantastic shape, and as well as Cove, Pierhead and Elgin, as always. But yes, the Dons going down 2-0 at one point to Dundee, at that point winless in the Premiership Dundee. And then Christian Ramirez pulled a goal back, but it wasn't enough. It was a, it was a dreadful performance, I don't think that would be an exaggeration. Paul, you were at the pre-match press conference yesterday ahead of um, this weekend's game against Hibs, uh, a game that starts a pretty uh, tough run, it would be safe to say, for the Dons. I think they play pretty much all of the top six in their next six games. What was what was Stephen Glass saying? What, how, how was he going to turn this around? Well, it's funny because so little of the actual discussion was about the Dundee game. I don't think it got a mention. That tells you how much has happened this week. Um, I think all the focus really... Um, and rightly so, came in response to the chairman, Dave Cormack's uh, appearance on the on the radio on Monday night. That was the dominant um, subject. Um, Glass, for his part, was appreciative of the chairman's backing of him and his backroom staff. Um, but it was some of the details surrounding his appointment and the operation behind the scenes at Pataudry, which really took centre stage at the presser. Um, Cormac had alluded to the fact the club wanted a head coach type in charge and glass fitted the bill, but certainly the manager left no one in any doubt that when it comes to recruitment, he has the final say on anyone who comes into the club. The second subject matter, and it's been the one that's rumbled on since the day he was appointed, was the notion that he's in situ at Petodri by virtue of being the chairman's pal. Um, that idea has been dismissed by both, and Glass went so far as to label the idea as as insulting, not just to him, but to the people at the club who appointed him. Uh, in short, he was bullish, grateful for the backing, and remains absolutely steadfast and resolute in his belief the club's fortunes will turn. Thirdly, you've obviously kind of uh, covered the Dons for, for a considerable period of time. I mean, is there anything kind of comparable to this sort of week that, that, you've, that you've experienced? Do I have to say it? Mark McGee are the two words <laughs> and the name that, that comes to my mind when I, I think about this. Because Mark was a, is, I shouldn't say was, that past tense is terrible, is a Gothenburg great. It was a terrific player for the club. But as a manager, it just it just did not work out in his time at Petordi. And towards the end, it was painful, painful for him. And you could see how much agony he was going through. This is a club where he made his name. And it was it was all going pear shaped, and it felt as if nothing that he could do to change it was was working. It was just it was defeat after defeat. He was there was the nine nil with Celtic. There was oh, it was just everything. There was, even from the day he appointed, I think put his put him on the back foot in the eyes of a lot of fans when he said, "Well, this is this." If I'm being honest, this is the second option of the two jobs that I I, I went for, and I think I for him, ultimately cost him. And the difference in this respect is it's, it's someone who's got no managerial experience coming in and he's fairly changed everything that he's he's got there, but 
it's not it's just not clicking so far you've you've discussed before what, just what you were talking about there paul the fact that stephen glass came in with no credit in the bank and the fact there's this rightly or wrongly this dave cormack um old pals act thing that people just can't get out of their their heads some fans that's you know he was off to a loser from the start and he's you know it's an uphill battle from the start and the way his results have gone obviously hasn't helped in recent weeks the stats though um five losses in a row now without a win in 10 games i think no clean sheets in 13 games and the one that stands out for me one clean sheet in 22 games going back to last season if you've got uh, if you want to put your finger on one thing that's costing the dons results it's the defending Obviously, this run that I've mentioned coming up, you've got teams that are not short of attacking prowess and Hibs, uh, Hearts, Rangers, or Hibs, Rangers, Hearts, as the case is. Uh, I, I've seen quite a lot of people this week, Willie Miller, for example, um, quite a few fans as well. Uh, I've done a piece on it myself, but talking about how the midfield isn't dropping to cover the fact that Aberdeen have got high fullbacks under glass and they're trying to attack with the fullbacks, you know, to break down stubborn defences and it leaves the two centre-backs on Saturday, Declan Gallagher and David Bates, exposed. It's a catch-22 because most of the chances at the moment are being created from fullback from Calvin Ramsey and Jack McKenzie because, you know, Ryan Hedges has just come, pa- come back, doesn't look up to speed and there's kind of a creativity issue in the midfield with Lewis Ferguson and in the attacking midfield the likes of Johnny Hayes and Ryan Hedges. But would you... Despite the fact you'd be taking away um, a bit of attacking threat, if you kept Calvin Ramsey or Jack McKenzie on a shorter leash, would you be tempted to be a bit more pragmatic in terms of the defending and the games coming up to try and just get results? I would, but I don't know if the manager will be. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of debate too about whether he's going to change the three to back. I think that depends on whether Ross McCrory is available for starters, but even if he is, I, I'm not so sure if the manager is really going to go and, and change his approach. Uh, Glass maintains they've tried grinding out results at times, only to come unstuck due to individual errors, and those mistakes has been the common denominator in this dire 10-game run. Ryan, you did that analysis piece which showed how advanced Calvin Ramsey and Jack McKenzie were at Dens Park especially, and that approach does leave this Aberdeen team vulnerable at wide against the pace of someone like Martin Boyle, who they'll be facing on Saturday. The problem for me, however, is that those two full-backs, as you just said, especially Ramsey, are important attacking options in terms of how the team plays. Where does the creativity come from if they are asked to sit deep? And let's be honest, Aberdeen are now in a situation where they need to win a game of football. I don't think a draw helps their cause in the current climate. and That's why I'm not convinced they will opt to be more defensive anytime soon. They need to get three points in the bag and I think the only way they're going to do that is by being open and attacking. I don't I don't think they can play any other way. We've seen from from the results, they've not from say from what I can remember and say from what I've watched, they've not been kind of absolutely battered in any of the games. They've just they've conceded daft goals and they've looked kind of kind of fairly laboured in in attack. And you look at the, the number of options he's got in the forward areas and albeit Kind of one or two of them have been missing or struggling with, with injuries, and you you wouldn't expect that to happen. So particularly given how the how the season started, but he is he is kind of in a catch catch twenty two situation because if he kind of goes if he goes kind of pragmatic and more defensive and they get beat, he will kind of be 
he'll be hammered for it. Um, kind of, but if he goes kind of cavalier to go for it to try and get a result and kind of get beat three nil, then he will get hammered for it as well. Um, so they they are in desperate need of something to change, and something does have to change because, like, what's the old phrase? Kind of, in, in the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And ten. 10 games without a win tells its own story. Something something has to change, whether that's personnel, whether that's a change of system, because you're not gonna you're not gonna get kind of a, a change in the mood music from from Aberdeen supporters by just kind of going out there and doing the, the same thing. And I know social media is never kind of the most reliable barometer for these things, but you there's already some kind of fans saying, Oh, we're gonna be voting with our feet and kind of staying away. And that's not that's not going to do the team any good. I know kind of speaking to, to Duncan Shearer this week and doing his column, like we obviously kind of touched on the, the kind of the season 94, 95, when they had to rely on a relegation playoff against Dunfermline to stay up. And he kind of said that without the backing of the supporters at that time, they wouldn't have got out of that situation. They wouldn't have got across the line. And he was kind of urging, urging the supporters to do the same. And while I would kind of agree with that, I can also understand why, kind of a good number of supporters are frustrated by the current run and maybe don't want to kind of pay the money for it because they're not used to seeing these sorts of runs over or say over the kind of the last decade. I mean, yeah, you don't want to go to Tawdry and watch your team be the, the worst team in the league. And that's what William Miller said on current form. They are the worst team in the league at the moment. No other teams on a run of five losses, not even Ross County. And yeah, Dave Cormack on Sports Sound on Monday discussed several times the fact that the performance data is um you know is showing that Aberdeen are doing the right things but as as Daryl Broadfoot the pundit on that program said you don't get unlucky 10 games in a row something has to change I think I've said in the podcast before that with Ross County and Aberdeen this season there's been a bit of a frustration for me that the constant talking about how they could have scored these goals that they haven't scored and they shouldn't have conceded these goals that they haven't conceded. But at the end of the day, there isn't a goals we could have scored and goals we shouldn't have conceded the league to go top of this. You need to win games. You need to get results. Paul, if this is going to be a defining six games that governs whether Aberdeen are in a basement battle this season or they can get themselves further up the table and start competing for Europe, these six games before the end of November, how many of them do you think they need to win? (laughs) Well, they need to win the next one. That's what I would say. I mean, it's funny for me, and I, I think some people looked, and Dundee was do or die for some fans on Saturday. You could say the next six games are crucial. You can say the next seven days will be defining. The patience of the Aberdeen support will determine how much longer this can go on if the results don't change. We saw the first real sign of dissent at Dens when the fans were chanting for the manager to go. And it's hard to come back from that, but it's not impossible. Um, but those voices are only going to get louder the longer this run continues. And at the risk of being a merchant of doom here, I'd be amazed if the Dons lost the next three games and it's as you were. Because that's 13 games without a win, eight defeats in a row. And that'll be the only data of interest to Aberdeen fans at that point. Here's a comparison I never thought I would make on Northern Goal, right? But look at Barcelona. They've lost their best player in Lionel Messi. They're a club in transition. They've been in steady decline for a few years to the point they're a shadow of the team that they used to be, what, five years ago? 
The fans are far from impressed at what they're seeing. Their team's won what, four of their opening eight games in the Liga and the manager, Ronald Koeman, is under pressure as a result. My theory on this, right, fans look at two sets of data when it comes to their team. One is a result at quarter to five on a Saturday and it has been identical for five matches running for Aberdeen. The second is how it compares to recent seasons. And if you're looking at both, the trends are huge cause for concern in anyone's book. I can't remember whether you say data or data now. I can't remember how you're supposed to properly say it. And, and data and data, it all adds up to they're in trouble. <laughs> I've lost. One th- so one thing that stood out to me, sir, from that Cormac interview on Monday night is that he obviously made reference to a number of other managers in comparison to, to the Aberdeen situation. Like, I think Robbie Nielsen was mentioned, Callum Davidson... Billy Dodds, Tam Courts, and the only one for me that has kind of any kind of merit as a comparison is Tam Courts because Robbie Nielsen had already won the kind of championship with Dundee United before going back to Hearts. I know you were saying like, oh, after the Brewer Rangers game, Hearts were calling, Hearts fans were calling for him to be sacked, but Robbie Nielsen was already proven he'd won, he'd won the championship before. Billy Dodds had won things as a coach and had kind of significant experience behind him. Yes, he was kind of stepping up to a a managerial job for the first time, but he said he'd already won the League Cup. He'd been finished in the top six with with Ross County, and he kind of been he'd been around the Scottish game for for a long time. And he said Callum Davidson. What can't you say about Callum Davidson? He won he won two cups for, for St Johnston and got a result against Galatasaray in uh, in Europe. So the only one to me that bears any comparison is Tam Courts because he came into that job with no managerial experience. But the difference is Tam Courts is winning games. If Tam Courts and Dundee United were losing, then he would be under the same scrutiny that Stephen Glass is under, and vice versa. If if Stephen Glass was winning games and Aberdeen were third or fourth, then people would be kind of rightly praising it as a as a kind of a savvy choice. It's it's just the kind of the the way results kind of affect the uh, the kind of the narrative there, and I do feel to a certain extent for Glass because he's having to take a lot of this on his shoulders, and I know he's kind of acknowledged that that kind of comes with the territory. Um, and he's and to be fair to him, he has obviously he's come out and understandably he's had to kind of defend himself um, this week. Um, and you just if you kind of have any kind of your your red tinted glasses on from our perspective, you kind of you're just hoping something changes, something clicks for them, and it starts snowballing in, in the other direction because it's not it's not fun just now. And I'm sure I'm not the kind of the only one that feels that way. You're not, you're not, Jamie. And and there's not, there's this funny mentality, especially among football clubs and managers and players and chairmen, that you've got an agenda against a club because you're writing about how they're struggling and the pressure's on and it's just not happening for them. But it's not fun as a a journalist to be covering a team that's getting beat every week either. It's much more fun writing about a team challenging for trophies going far in cup competitions and you're seeing these, this new guy come in or that guy score a hat-trick or some great save from a goalkeeper. We're not seeing any of that. And we'd be lying to the people who are going to watch the game if we're not reporting on what's happening. And what is happening is Aberdeen are losing every week. Think about us, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, the three of us have wallowed in our mud bath of misery for long enough, so we will take Andy Skinner off mute shortly and we'll discuss Ross County I mean it's not going to be any less miserable but it'll be a different person talking okay Andy 
they're rock bottom now, the Staggies. They have still not found a way to win in the Premiership. Uh, lost at the weekend to St Mirren, a team, to be fair, who who are in, in decent form this season, I think it's safe to say. But yeah, two costly uh, defensive errors. They also, before that, went down 1-0. And it's kind of one of those situations, isn't it, where County, they look threatening attack, but and they score goals, but they never really have a chance to win the game. Yeah, and I think um, you know that probably um, is the root of what Malky Mackay was addressing um, during his pre-match press conference yesterday as well. Um, I mean, Ross County's um, wait for a victory has now gone on for the, the full season. That's nine games. Um, and, you know, you, you look at the first six that they played, it was a difficult run. They emerged from that with, with three points, which could be considered a you know, a decent return from from those fixtures. But it's it's these last three that they've lost to Motherwell, Dundee United and St Mirren that have all followed a pretty similar pattern in that County have gone behind in the game. And at that point, they've gone on to to start dominating, probably when they're, you know, chasing the game to an extent. Um, and, you know, in each of those games, they've hit the post, they've created chances. Um, but they've they've not managed to do enough to to take even a point from from any of these games, um, and you know there is only so long you can you, you know talk about a a tough start to the season because we're now facing a situation where they're two games away from completing a, a full round of fixtures and and they're still to get off the mark. So I think there there is an element of Groundhog Day there, but you know Malky Mackay has pointed to. Data um, as well. That was a, a, a kind of recurring theme from from the Dingwall. They're neck pressure. and neck, currently already in Ross County. Yeah, um, and you know, to an extent, he's got a point. You know, the, he pointed to the fact that you know County had twenty attempts on goal, twenty crosses, fifty six percent possession from the the match um, against St Mirren on Saturday. Uh, ultimately, you know, the the stat that counts or the, the data that counts is is the fact that uh, you know of the five shots on target that both teams had St Mirren converted three and, and County converted two and I think Malky is aware of that um, you know he, he's not naive enough to to think that you know the dominant spells of play that they're, they're enjoying during games are are, are what matter um, but I think what's really you know crippling County just now is the the fact that individual errors at the back are uh, proving to be the difference in in a lot of these games, and I think the challenge that he's trying to to lay at the the, the door of his players is to to replicate some of this dominant play at a stage in the game where it's uh, when it's all level and and they've got the chance to to get on the front foot by playing that way. In the the stuff you wrote today, Andy from Malky's presser yesterday, he talked about that players will get a second chance you know if they make a, a mistake but they won't get you know unlimited chances to prove they're they're good enough to play for Ross County this season what I was going to ask you about was um, I think it was Eamon Brophy's first goal which would have been the, the second goal for St Mirren um, at the weekend no, that was the opener uh, Brophy scored the first um, with his shot who scored, yeah. the, who scored the second it was at the back post header Marcus Fraser yeah that was yeah, Harry, so that Harry. was Clark lost his man. Yeah, and I also think with that, Maynard Brewer obviously comes out with goals and sort of, you know, he was kind of in no man's land a little bit. I think it's safe to say. 
But the third goal was the one, the third St. Marin goal, the mix-up between Jack Baldwin and Maynard Brewer that was, uh, I think, particularly embarrassing for County. Would you be tempted that there's been a few issues, I think, in recent weeks, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but with Maynard Brewer, despite us um, hailing him after his, his first game for County, would you be tempted at this point to put Ross Laidlaw back in? It's an interesting one because I, I got the sense that, you know, Malky Mackay was... You know, wanting to make that change. Um, you know, he brought Maynard Brewer into the club as his own signing, um, and he wanted to be fair to Ross Laidlaw by, you know, giving him the opportunity to keep the gloves. But you know, he was going to look for that first opportunity to to introduce his own man to the to the side. Um, you know, his first game that he played against Hearts was very very good. Since then, there have been some questionable moments, um, none more so than the the goal that was conceded down at Tanadice. Um, again, that proved to be the difference between the sides that day. Um, and yeah, a couple of the goals on, on Saturday, I wasn't too convinced by Maynard Brewer either. You know, the, the opener, it was a great strike by Brophy. Um, I can't take anything away from, from him in that regard, but um, I still think that he maybe could have done a bit better at his near post. Um, I think Laidlaw, I mean, it's speaking very hypothetically, but Laidlaw tends to to deal with, you know, shots at his goal pretty well. Um, and then for the second, yeah, it just it seemed like a, a disorganised defence, um, you know, trying to combat a set piece. Um, obviously, it was Clark that was pinpointed as being the, the man that lost his player to, um, you know, result in Marcus Fraser uh, sticking the ball in the net. but. Yeah, Maynard Brewer didn't look too commanding of of the situation either. So, I think it's it's a difficult one because he's only four games into in, into action now, and um, you know, for for Malky to make the change again now, you know, could have a, a pretty damaging effect on his confidence. By the same token, you know, I think Laidlaw's a, a steady goalkeeper. Although he made a you know a couple of mistakes, it was the one in. The game against Aberdeen at Pataudry that springs to mind mainly that uh, resulted in him being dropped. But um, I think over the the piece he's shown that you know a good resilience to bounce back any any time he's been dropped in this situation before. And uh, you know having won County's Player of the Year award last season, I think he would be a, a steady pair of hands to to come back into the side. Um, so it's it, yeah, it's a dilemma for for Malky. There's no doubt about that. There'll only be eleven games in the season. Um, after Livingston and Dundee, but if they don't get a win, a win in either of those games, if they lose both those games, is that uh, running about with your hair on fire, panic mode? I think by that stage it kind of has to be just by the nature of what Livingston and Dundee both did at the weekend, and you know they've they've both got got victories that that have created you know something of a gap. It's threatening to become quite a big gap now that you know they're they're both up against County in in, in the next two fixtures. Um, you, you know, if County lose to Livingston on Saturday, then there'll be seven points adrift of of the the Lions, and likewise, if they they lose to Dundee in midweek, there'll be you know six potentially more points behind them. So, yeah, no, there is high pressure going into these games now. By by the same token, it's a, an opportunity for for County. You know, if you look at the fixture list, it's probably the two games that they would fancy themselves most to get points from. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, how much their confidence has been dented. And I, I think that's where, you know, Malky is trying to to get a tune out of the players by referring to 
to the data that I go back to because it does point to the fact that County have been doing a lot right in games. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, the key quotes that he, you know, he mentioned from the presser yesterday was that, you know, if they keep playing like that over a long period, people aren't going to make howlers every week. And I think I think at this point he is just trying to to keep the players believing um, in, in the approach to the games, which, you know, by and large has been has been quite, uh, you know, encouraging, but it's not been particularly fruitful at this point. And uh, it's just how much longer the the Staggies fans will will be able to tolerate that, that, uh, you know, will determine whether this does become similar kind of crisis to, to the one that you were talking about uh, down the A96. started snowing for the first time outside my living room window while you were saying that, Andy. So I don't know if that's a an omen. Um, for a, a bleak winter. Winter's coming for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, to be fair, it's not it's not looking like it's going to be a bleak winter for Inverness. There's a big week ahead for them. They play Wraith and Arbroath, two of the sides competing up the top end of the championship with them, but they've got a five-point lead now at the top following their 2-0 win over Morton and Kilmarnock's draw at the weekend. I mean, big games, Andy. Did you see Inverness handling them um, with aplomb? I don't see any reason why not, because I mean they've they've managed to beat both teams already this season, which is a you know a psychological advantage going into to two of you know on the balance of form would be the the trickier two of the trickier games that you would identify from the championship um, that you could come come up against. Um, I think the the Morton game was an important one for them, just purely on the basis that it was their their chance to to bounce back from their only defeat so far. Um, down at Hamilton, Billy Dodds mentioned um, after that game that you know the, the Morton game would complete the first quarter of fixtures, and if they were to to win that one, then you know despite the the Hamilton result, it would still go down as a, a very very good opening quarter, and you know that's the way it looks. They're sitting pretty five points clear at the the top of the the table. Um, you know other teams beneath them are taking points off one another and. I mean, this does give them a uh, you know a massive opportunity to to extend that gap because you know Wraith are are a side that are in excellent form. Um, you know, it's it's obviously a game to be wary of, but you, you know you don't sense any uh, any lack of confidence from you know Billy Dodds's camp going going down into this one. And similarly, our Broth. I mean, I, th- I think they're without a win in their last three, but I mean they're they're still um, you know right up there and a side that seems to be able to take little setbacks like that in, in their stride. They're, they're clearly punching well above their weight in that league. And, um, you know, the trip up to Inverness will not phase them one bit. So, you know, it's definitely games to be to be wary of, but equally a, a huge opportunity for, for Inverness to, to build on, on a fantastic start. Billy Dodds praised him for being professional at the weekend against Morton. It was one of those games, wasn't it, where... I mean, you never really got the sense that Cali Thistle were going to lose it. You know, like as as league leaders, should they? Yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't their best performance this season, but they get a goal through Billy McKay, and then yeah, like yeah, they feel they're pretty comfortable here. They could use a second, and then they get that second. How how good 
have Billy McKay and Michael Garden been since they've come in? Obviously, Billy McKay, that was his first league start. We'd scored in SPFL Trust Trophy and looks like he can still handle it. And Michael Garden, he, he's been sensational. I think I think there was questions whether he was going to have to go off at halftime when this one had to extend halftime because of um, suspected concussion. But he came through whatever the tests are and was able to net another one. And I just wonder whether Ross County are currently looking at them going, God, they could be doing a job for us in the Premiership this season. Why did we let them go? Yeah, I, I can I can well understand that because you know you, you've got two players that, that that were you know proven goal scorers, um, you know guys that that have shown their worth um, came up for them uh, during difficult periods and none more so than last season. Um, so you know when you consider all the transition that there's been at, at County over the summer and you know some of the new players that are are still you know, very much to to prove whether they're up to it in, in the county team. Um you know, you, you think it probably would have been beneficial to to have a couple of known quantities like that, um, even if they weren't gonna perhaps play every week in the premiership. Um but I think Billy Dodds is certainly getting the right tune out of them by the you know the way that he's used them so far. In Billy Mackay's case it's it's a bit different because, you know, he missed a, a good chunk of the the opening to the season through injury. Um, I mean, he has been fit now for a, a few weeks, but you know the the form of the side probably prevented him coming in a bit sooner. Um, I think the temptation would have been there from from Billy Dodds all the way through to to throw Billy McKay in, um, and perhaps had the form not been as good as it has been, the chances are he, he would have been in the side. But to be able to to throw him in now. Um, at, at, you know, at a time when the, the team's trying to build on 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 their start to the campaign, and and the sense is that Mackay's best form is still to come. Yeah, it's a fantastic position to be sitting in just now. And as for Michael Gardine, I mean, that's that's four goals in in four games. Um, and again, it's a player that that Dodds knows how to get the best out of. As we've touched on in previous podcasts, you know, he's come through periods in recent seasons where you know he hasn't played that much there's been managers that that haven't you know maybe got the best out of him uh, but you know Billy Dodds is well aware of, of what he can bring if he's given a, a sustained run in the side he, he knows you know where best to play him and you know that that sort of Michael Gardine is a key asset for for any championship side to have and he's, he's certainly stepping up to that um, as we as we speak. Okay, so we're at 30 minutes or 31 minutes even, so our time strap listeners will be up in arms that we have yet to move on to Cold Peterhead and Elgin, so we'll do that after this short break. Right, let's start, Jamie, with the game you were at, Aloha Athletic 2, Peterhead 4, or was it Peterhead 4, Aloha Athletic 2? I think Aloha were at home, weren't they? Yes, they were. Is that Recreation Park? Is that right? It is. Oh, good. I'm good. That's, funnily enough, a little nugget for the listeners. Is that not what um, Peterhead's ground, their old ground, was called before they built Baldwin? Yes, it is. Oh, I like this. Oh, see. <laughs> the things that, the things that just randomly pop into my head. Um, but that's, Peter, that's Peterhead. Nine goals in two games, two wins in a row. I think the first time in this season they've managed it in League One. Um it's still tight down the bottom. It's always going to be tight in League One. It's going to be tight all season long. Anyone involved in League One will tell you that. But they're now seventh. 
they appear to have staved off the, a little bit of the fears that the season was getting away from them a bit. I think previous to that, they were second bottom. Um, it's 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 looking up for Peterhead, and they found a bit of a a bit of spark. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were they were really kind of enterprising and energetic on kind of last weekend. I was really impressed with what I saw. I think the midfield in particular was excellent. Um, I think in Scott Brown and Andy McCarthy, you've got a couple of guys there who are kind of relentless. They're never going to kind of stop working, and they're kind of very useful threats in the final third as well. Andy McCarthy set up one of the goals, and Scott Brown has got his six of the season from the penalty spot. Um, but they were kind of they were very. A very kind of handy unit. Obviously, the, the sending off of the the Alwa goalkeeper David Hutton helped in the first half, but for then for then on, it was kind of Peterhead just kind of had to be had to be patient and and kind of wait for the kind of the gaps to to open up. And I think they brought on um, they started with three at the back, and at halftime, Jim McAnally took off one of his centre halves and put on Russell McLean uh, up front with with Nia Payne, and it paid off. So Russell scored uh, kind of early on in the. In the second half, and the, after that, the kind of weren't too many dangers for for Peter Heads, and they got the late fourth through through Josh Mulligan. But I think things are starting to click now. There's a little bit of kind of confidence flowing through the team. Um, there's one or two injury problems that they've got, but you'd kind of say with the strongest kind of the strongest kind of lineup at the minute, it's everyone's kind of fit and firing. Um, I think they'll be missing Ryan Conroy this weekend. So he kind of came off with a groin issue um, in the first half. So I think he's likely to to miss out for this weekend. But there's kind of the other guys that have that are kind of on the sidelines, like so kind of Jordan Brown, Gary Fraser, um, Alan Cook. They haven't really kind of featured um, much this season or or at all, really. So. I think Peterhead can kind of rightly rightly look forward, and I mean they're playing playing Falkirk this weekend. To they don't have those kind of troubles to seek on and off the field at the minute. So I think if you if you're a Peterhead player, you're relishing Falkirk coming up to to Balmour on on Saturday. They gave them a game down there earlier in the season. We're kind of maybe a little bit unfortunate with the one or two decisions that went against them. But I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if Peterhead Peterhead kind of won on on Saturday. I think there's they're kind of a little bit of momentum starting to build with with them just now, and like you say, there's there's a Falkirk team that's maybe struggling to to get things going. So it 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 makes it may make for a good game certainly, and I, I say I wouldn't be surprised if Pete Head come out on top. Yeah, I think based on his performances, they'll be delighted they've got a second chance at Josh Mulligan this season. Yeah, I think he was up. He was outstanding. Well, joke for the golfers. <laughs> was a tumbleweed with that one um <laughs> i got it um no josh mulligan <laughs> no josh mulligan's been outstanding to be fair and um so i think the you feel for him for a certain extent because he's he's so good in a number of positions that he kind of gets he gets kind of dotted about here there and everywhere he started at right wing back on on saturday then when they went to the back four for the second half he got moved to right back he's played at center half he's played and a couple of positions in in midfield, and he's he's just so dynamic wherever he's kind of used on the field. Um, he has to kind of he's a yeah, it's nailed on starter every week at Peterhead. And to be honest, I don't think it'll be long before he's kind of pushing for a place in that Dundee first team. Um, out with the kind of the the three boys they've got on loan there, obviously Mulligan, Danny Strachan, and and Lyle Cameron. I think he's. He's been the undoubted standout. Um, so the only dilemma for for Jim McAnally is just, just where to use him. Um, I think 
right back is probably where he's likely to to start again this weekend. I think he's he's got a couple of centre halves and that he wants to use. He's obviously brought in David Wilson. Um, I think he's maybe wanting to kind of use him, and he's got Andy McDonald and Jason Brown as well. And then the midfield's crowded, I think, with Cy uh, Ferry, Scott Brown, Andy McCarthy, and obviously kind of Hamish Ritchie as well, who was he was kind of used in a more more advanced role against Alloa. So I think Mulligan will probably be used kind of at, at right back, but it's he's still he's still likely, to, I think, to have an impact on the game wherever he wherever he plays on the field. Spearheads uh, turn around and form has come out of nowhere more than a venomous Randy Orton. Um, Cove Rangers 4-2 loss East Fife very similar um, a bad performance just totally out of the blue for Cove 3-0 down at half time in this one it sounded like a couple of the goals were like long range but one was a free kick and one was a one was a 25 yarder I I take it from what Paul Hartley said afterwards that uh, the work ethic to maybe not give away that free kick and not close down that shot were perhaps in question. Shea Logan said that Cove were rubbish. I think they came out after half-time, got a goal back straight away. And having beaten East Fife 5-2 earlier this season, they probably thought at that point that there's a fair chance of them getting something out of the game. Everyone knows how deadly Cove can be in front of the goal, but I think they then conceded to go 4-1 down pretty much straight away. Yeah, a strange one, Jamie. Yeah, it was a, it was a kind of a very un-Cove-like performance given the kind of run they've been on the the kind of consensus, I think, is that the results the results have been good, but the performance is kind of there's still room for improvement. But I don't think anybody expected them to be, say, kind of three goals down at half time um, to the bottom side in in League One. Um, again, it comes back to the point that the this league is ridiculously unpredictable. I think there's, from what I checked this morning, there's only six points between second and ninth in, in this division, and that's Cove and Clyde, the two sides that they kind of meet at the Balmoral Stadium this weekend. I think. What Cove you've kind of seen from them in the past is that when they have chucked in a defeat, that it doesn't tend to snowball into anything bigger. Um, I know they kind of had a slow start to the season, but that was maybe only a couple of results. I think it was a, I think it was a draw and a defeat. Um, and I think maybe the first season in in League One, they maybe had a couple of defeats in a row, but they don't tend to go on these kind of kind of long winless runs that maybe we've seen elsewhere. Um, I. Clyde have already beaten them this season, and they beat them um, in Aberdeen last season, last year. So you can't, they can't kind of go into that game, um, kind of taking them lightly. And from kind of watching Paul Hartley teams over the last couple of seasons, that that never really seems to be the case. Uh, Cove should have enough in the uh, in the in the tank to take care of Clyde at home. Uh, so given the kind of the the home form that they've they've shown over the last couple of seasons. Um, I think what what might kind of concern them is that they, ha- they do have a couple of injury issues. Um, Harry Melnum, sorry, yeah, Harry Melnum, Blair Ewell missed out last weekend, and they're both both kind of doubtful for this weekend. And I think they they're more than any are kind of two big misses for them because say Blair Ewell can fill a number of positions. He can play right back, right midfield, or in the centre. And he his his energy and his work rate is a huge miss for them. And I think. With if Harry Milne's missing, he is. I think he is one of the best kind of fullbacks in the league as it is. But Cove don't have kind of a, a natural left back in reserve. So if he misses out, then the whole system kind of has to change. Like I think they moved to a back three last weekend, and I've seen them kind of try it before. Um, when Harry's been out, I think it was one of the games. He, 
that I was at that Connor Scully played played left back. Um and I think he's been tried at, at wing back as well. And they do miss that. They do miss kind of Harry being in there. And I mean when he was out towards the end of last season, they at least had the alternative of they had Adam Livingston and Kieran Nguenya there who maybe not at the same level of as Harry Milne, they they are kind of natural left backs that can come in and the whole system doesn't have to change. Whereas if he Harry Milne's out now, it's maybe having to shift away from the four two three one to a back three and kind of play someone in a wing back position that's maybe not comfortable there. Um or you're kind of taking Connor Scully out of the out of the midfield and pushing him into kind of a a full back role. Um it's not there's nothing kind of too long term with with either of them to be concerned about um from kind of having spoken to to Paul Hartley on, on th- Thursday morning. So you'd hope uh you hope that they'd have enough in the tank to to get something against Clyde and then hopefully have them have Harry and uh, Blair back in the team uh, before too long. Well done in referring to thir- uh, this morning as Thursday morning. You've given this podcast longevity for the next three days. Um, <laughs> Andy, Alvin Rovers 2, Elgin City nil at the weekend. Not great preparation when Elgin are playing a, a, a team a couple of levels below them in Clyde Bank uh, on Monday on TV in the Scottish Cup second round. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a big blow for them, isn't it? If they if they lose that one in front of the the viewing public. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a wee bit of pressure on them in the in this game. Um, you know, it's it's one that's been selected for television. There's a bit of kind of romance to it in a way because you know a lot of the neutral, uh, you know, audience members all remember the old Clyde Bank um, who were involved in some thrilling cup ties over the the years. Um, you know, this, this is a, a club that you know rose from from the ashes of, of, of the old Clyde Bank and seem to be quite ambitious in, in trying to get back into um, into the league. Um, they're sitting third in the West of Scotland League just now and, you know, in, in front of a, a live television audience, they'll be keen to to put on a, a show. So, you know, Elgin, given the, the form that, that they're on, are going to go into this one, you know, determined themselves to to try and avert that slump. And, um, you know, it's it's got the makings of being quite a you know a pressure game for them um they, they just have to try and and use it as a, a welcome opportunity to break away from league action and you know maybe regain some confidence going into you know their next run of league two fixtures because you know that that defeat on saturday leaves them in a a pretty um ominous position in in a way you know they're they're, they're second bottom and, and just three points above Cowden Beath. Uh, who occupy bottom spot? So it's it's not where Elgin want to be, and you know they they certainly need to to try and change that as quickly as they can. Do we know if Kane Hester is going to be available for this one? I don't I don't think we've had in a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I don't know a, a time frame on his return from the injury he's got at the moment. I think the the prognosis was probably the rest of October. So I would doubt that you would make this one. But um, yeah, we'll we'll find out a bit more. From from Gavin Price, uh, well before the the weekend on on how his progress is is coming on. Clearly, he's been a a massive loss to them. Um, I mean, there's there's no one that, that that can you know replicate the the goal scoring exploits um, that that he brings. I mean, the the last time they played Albion Rovers, who defeated them two 0 at the weekend. Um, you know, in the, the game before that, you know, he he came up with the hat trick. That uh, that settled that game. So, uh, you know that that's a, a sign of the 
you know how badly he was missed when they went down to Clifton Hill at the weekend. Um, it, I mean, League Two is a a very tight league where where there's not a lot between the sides. Any team that goes on any sort of run of form tends to to do pretty well and challenge for the playoffs. Um, equally, teams that go through bad spells are are going to struggle to you know avoid that that lingering threat of of being sucked into a relegation battle. So. You know that that's the position that Elgin currently find themselves in with with only two league wins so far, um, and so it's you know imperative that you know if they can turn that league form around, then you know they do go on some sort of run that can bridge that six point gap between them and fourth place and an Athletic uh, just now. But you know in the in the meantime, it's a you know a big cup tie that they've got ahead of them and. You know, as as we've touched on in front of a, a live television audience, they they certainly don't want to be, uh, you know, the victim of of any sort of upset. Okay, that's been forty five minutes of fun, so I think we'll call it there. Not just Elgin City, of course, in Scottish Cup action. A few of our Highland League teams are also either welcoming teams of a higher level or visiting various grounds across the land to try and get into the third round. We start seeing some, you know, I think. League one in the championship coming in the third round, and then if you reach the fourth round, who knows who you could play? Um, you could play Aberdeen, probably beat them. But um, anyway, thank you to Jamie, Andy, and Paul for joining me today. Cheers, guys. No problem. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can email us with any questions at Northern Goal at dctmedia.co.uk. I'm away to decide whether we keep that line in about lower league teams knocking Aberdeen out of the Scottish <laughs> Cup in this week's episode. But until next time, enjoy the football, whichever games you're watching this week. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.